Welcome to the Small Town Big Dreams podcast. My name is Becky Waples, and this is the podcast that celebrates small town creators and shares their stories. A creator to me could be an entrepreneur, someone with a side hustle, a person with a passion project, even a social media guru or anybody else who has taken their goal and is crushing it. From their background to where they found the courage, from their challenges to their wins, to where they find inspiration and how they took their first step, I cannot wait to chat and laugh about anything and everything that comes with creating something from scratch. If you are inspired by small town creators who turn their big dreams into reality, then this is the podcast for you. Please subscribe to hear all upcoming podcasts, follow me on Instagram and leave a review or comment so I know what you want to hear and what creators inspire you. Let's grow together. Before we start today's interview, I want to pop on quickly and say a huge thank you to anybody who's been listening to any of my episodes. I am so overwhelmed with the support and blown away by who and how many people have reached out to say that they've listened. And I wanted to give a huge thank you. It's a huge deal that you're listening to this. And I really appreciate it. I also thought I should mention that if you could, would you please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify? Because the way the algorithm works, the more reviews I have, the more likely my podcast will show up to other podcast listeners that would be interested in small town entrepreneurs. Thank you again. Okay, so with that out of the way, I also wanted to pop on and say that today's episode is with Katie Stroud from Crust and Crackle. Um, I just want you to know that I've been having technical difficulties with my microphones, and it's fairly obvious in this interview. And luckily, Katie's mic sounds great, but mine sounds echoey, and in parts, honestly, you couldn't even hear me. I've tried to do some fancy editing and hopefully saved the interview, but the editing will be fairly obvious. Meeting Katie started this podcast in motion. I had met her at a barbecue where I fully intended on going to the barbecue and talking to another creator about starting a food business with my dips. However, I met Katie the minute I got there and we instantly connected. And I was so into her story. And I told her that it felt like I was meeting a celebrity. And I left that barbecue with this crazy idea that maybe I'd be able to start a podcast and share the stories of other small businesses and other mini celebrities that were in this area. And so a few weeks later, Small Towns Big Dreams was born. I was so honored and so excited that she was a part of the podcast. And I hope you enjoy the interview. But you know what? There's so many people that have a story to share. And I find a lot of them don't get that opportunity to share it. So even something like this, you know, like, no, we're not in the city and no, we're not famous. We're famous in our own little towns, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I think doing something like this is it's uh, just a creative outlet for both sides of the party. Yeah. And uh, how many people buy bread for me that don't know your story? I mean, I think you're very personal. So when they meet you, they probably do know Katie and then. Yeah, I think for the most I think for the most part, like we well, Matt doesn't do anything with social media. So it's really just me and a lot of stuff just comes out and it's verbal diarrhea and. Yeah. People meet us for the first time, like face to face, and they're like, I feel like I've known you forever yeah. because of, you know, like we don't share personal details, but, you know, like we kind of lay out, you know, like our path in life pretty much. So people have an understanding of 
kind of what we've come from, you know, what we're about. So when they do meet us, it's conversations are very easy. Yeah. 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 So I would say that you were a big, I I would say if we hadn't, if I hadn't met you and we hadn't had that conversation, I don't know if I would have been here. I would have been trying to make my dips, baby. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Something that's frustrating. (laughs) Everybody has a natural born talent and it's just a matter of harnessing that. It's accepting it and harnessing it because you may have this grand idea about doing something else, but you know, like I have, yes, I started Crust and Crackle and Crust and Crackle, it was a really natural transition from what I was doing previously. Like I teach pastry at Georgian College and then I also have a catering business, but you know, my catering business, um, catering five to seven course dinners in my clients' homes, um, yes, I'm like a really good chef and you know, that part was easy peasy, but it was fitting into that niche of, um, you know, being a really good chef and really getting your name out there. And I and I felt like starting that business, I was always um, there was there was always struggle somewhere. But then, you know, baking kind of always sat on the back burner. And then once I started baking bread, it just like everything just flowed so easily. And I was like, you know, maybe this is maybe this is just what I'm supposed like what I'm meant to be doing. So yeah, like everybody has their natural born skill. It's just accepting it and going forwards with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's start with that. So I, I know that um, you mentioned that you are you were a pastry teacher. Yes. Yeah. And... So I teach pastry pastry at Georgian. Uh, so let's like let's back up. Yeah. Let's let's back way up. <laughs> so growing up, like I come from a big family. So there's six kids, then my mom and dad, and we lived out in the country, like 45 minutes from town. You know, my parents didn't have a lot of money. There was We lived on one income for eight people and we raised our own animals um, for food. And then like we hunted and fished and then my mom had gardens and, you know, everything was made from scratch for the most part until, you know, we got a little bit older. But I remember when we were young kids, like everything was made from scratch. And so, you know, I think I was like six or seven years old and I'm in the kitchen with my mom making tomato sauce for spaghetti. And she's showing me her ropes, uh, you know, and then I helped her in canning season and making pies and all sorts of stuff. So like the food part was always there right from when I was little and I always had an interest in it. But I didn't when I graduated high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was 17 when I graduated high school. Who freaking knows what they want to do (laughs) at 17 years old? So I took you know, I, I I don't even want to say I took time off. I just I was not in a rush to go to university or college. I had no idea because I didn't want to go and spend thousands of dollars and not you not use those skills. Yeah. Right. So when I moved up here, I moved up here when I was 18. Um, I met Matt and we moved like he's from here. So I moved up here with him and I hemmed and hawed and hemmed and hawed after working in restaurants and retail businesses about what to do. And he's like, well, you know, why don't you go to school for culinary? He's, you know, you're not too bad at it. You've always done it. So I was like, all right, that's fine. Uh, so Owen Sound has, um, they had a two-year culinary program. Now it's a one-year, but it's a two, it was a two-year program. Uh, so I took that and I came out with like a high average and was <laughs> on a roll at the end of the two-year. I was like, all right, well, you know, like I really enjoy this. So then from there, 
I went and worked in a couple fine dining restaurants, but realized really quickly that that was not for me because it's really stressful. You are underpaid and you work really, really long hours. You know, it's like abuse pretty much. And you aren't getting the praise. The executive chef of the kitchen is getting the praise. Mm -hmm. So I decided that wasn't for me. But I had always kept my foot in the door at Georgian as a friend with the course coordinator and other chefs that were in there. So as time went on, you know, I'd always pop my head in and out to see what was going on. Um, But then when we had our kids, I jumped into, it's OSDSS now, but it used to be West Hill. And I ran the cafeteria off and on for five years just to have that Monday to Friday day job while we were having our kids. Um, But in the midst of that, an opportunity opened up at Georgian to teach pastry. The one chef had left um, for a different career path and the opportunity was open. All I had to do was write my red seal. So I went through, I had collected enough hours to write my red seal as a chef. So once I got that ticket, then I was able to walk right in. So like I've been teaching at pastry, pastry now at Georgian. I think this is my fifth year. Yeah, because Basil's turning six this year. So it'll be five years that I've taught there. And then while I was teaching there, uh, you know, it gave me that flexibility to be home with the kids um, because I, you know, I worked one or two days a week and then I didn't have to put the kids in daycare so they could uh, stay home with me during the day. Or if one of the kids was at school, then I could get them on and off the bus, you know, morning and afternoon. Um, But I felt like I needed just a little bit more. So then I started my catering business Um, after seeing a couple other chefs like throughout Ontario that were doing these really fine dining dinners in clients' homes. I was like, that's something that I could do. I was like, it's really interesting. You know, I'm a really personable person and I like, you know, chatting about what I do while I'm doing it. It's like edutainment, right? (laughs) Uh, So, you know, it was a lot of fun. I did, um, I pushed hard for two or three years and then obviously COVID hit. But after COVID, obviously during COVID, it slowed down a little bit. And that first year coming out of restrictions, I had catered on my own. I don't know, it was like two dozen events in like 12 or 16 weeks. Like it was a long, it was a lot, Um, but there was ebbs and flows with it, right? So it was never really consistent. And then one of my girlfriends in um, St. Thomas area, she was baking sourdough and, and I was just like, yeah, like that looks really interesting. I was like, I should give it a go. So, you know, she was sending me recipes and she's like, you should try this. So I was like, all right, why not? Yeah. So I started and at the beginning, it they were okay. <laughs> they Most of them were like flying saucers, but they were totally edible. But, you know, like three years into it, I said to Matt, you know, I, had art, I was well in my way on catering. And I was like, you know, I think that my product is good enough that maybe I could sell it. And he's like, all right, whatever, you know, just go, go for yeah, it, yeah. see what happens. So I put a social media post out there one day. It was it was around this time three years ago. This was like the beginning of October. And I just put a post up saying, hey, you know, this is who I am. This is what I've got. Anybody interested? And instantly, like instantly, I had hits. Uh, so the first little bit was like 10 to 20 loaves a week. And then it just went kapoof. Yes. From there. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's a good product. It yes, I think I think so. I don't want to like everybody should live a modest and humble life, right? Yeah, I like. <laughs> I know it's really good. Yeah. It's really yeah. good. Too. 
favorites so far has been your caramelized onion and parmesan. Yes. And that's uh, been a huge hit. Actually, it's coming back at the end of November. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, My aunt's favorite is your toasted sesame and honey. Yes. Um, I the one you made, you made a seasonal one this time, pumpkin and chili. Pumpkin chili maple. That was last week's. It was fun. Yeah. It was fun. I had a lot of resistance to it because of the unique flavor profile. But then for those that tried it, they were like, hot damn. Like, yeah. this is really good. I was gonna say, I'm just going to say, you're just going to try it all. Just go for just it. Go for yeah, it. go for it. Well, yeah. that's the other thing, too, is uh, like when I started this, you know, I made sure that people knew like what my background was. Right. So like, yes, I'm Crest and Crackle. Yes, I do sourdough bread. But yes, I'm also the denim chef and I have my red seal and like putting flavor profiles together is my thing. Right. So, you know, I come up with these really unique, different flavor profiles and then I throw them in bread. And a lot of people are like, whoa, like, hold on a minute. This is a thing. This is a thing. Like, you need to try this. Yeah. You're saying, trust me on this one. Trust me. Yeah, it's all about trust. Mm -hmm. It's all about trust. And, you know, there have been, don't get me wrong, like, I've made thousands of loaves of breads. And there's been a couple of flavor profiles where it's like, yeah, you know what? It was okay, but I probably won't do it again. And then there's been some that have been like a smashing hit, like right off the get go. Like this week is spuds and cheese. So I did it a couple of weeks ago and it was a huge hit. Um, so it's Red Storm cheese, which is one of our favorites from the Milkmaid and Owen Sound. Yeah. Uh, mashed potatoes and cracked black pepper. Wow. Like it's so good. Okay. It is so good. Oh, well, I was getting ready and I was like, okay, I'll check it out when we're done. So now, yeah. Now I know. Yep. You call it spuds and cheese. Spuds and cheese. Can't wait to try it. Yeah. So I like to ask, have you always wanted to be an entrepreneur? But it sounds like you have a very entrepreneurial background. I don't think, like, I can't say that I always wanted to be one. I think it was just a natural progression into it. Um, there, again, there's always, like, I'm not, I'm not a follower. Let's say that, right? Like, I have my own ideas. Um, I'm I'm very persistent with with what I want, right? Um, so I think it was just a natural progression leaving, leaving that full-time comfort pay is scary. Now, like it, it kind of was stepping stones for me, right? Because I went from the high school running the cafeteria from a Monday to Friday and that was a full-time gig, right? But then going into the college and I could work one or two days a week and I know that I had all my bills paid for, but I had some time where I could explore. It's not like I was just jumping off into the deep end right away, right? Like I had a little bit of time that I could play with and test some things out. And then basically it was like a teeter-totter, right? Like as one thing got busier, then something else had to give, right? right? So now it's to the point where, um, you know, I do still, I still teach one day a week and I allocate that time and then the rest of the time is for baking. Okay. Um, so yeah, like as I saw income changing and then the demand changing, then I was like, okay, you know, like I can take this final leap now. Like I, you know, this is both Matt and I, it's our full-time job. Right. right? So, but we've had that transition into it. It's not like I left a full-time job and I started something that was kind of wishy-washy. No, like I built it up and yeah. knew when it was time to comfortably go full tilt. Yeah. Yeah, my husband knows your Matt. Yeah, it's such a small world. <laughs> he said, "Is Matt coming?" Because he has a cool story too. I was like, "No, it's just Katie." But mm-hmm. so Matt is working as full time too. What did he do before? 
Yeah. So like when Matt and I first met, neither of us, like we've been together for almost 20 years now. It's crazy. I was looking at the timeline <laughs> last night. Um, but yeah. So like when we first got together, like he was going through school for Millwright in St. Thomas and was really wishy-washy about it. You know, was talking about welding and doing electronics and just what wasn't 100% sure. So then when we moved up here and I was in my first round of culinary school, then he decided that he was going to go off to school for electrical. Okay. So he, I think it was just a one-year program. So he finished that year and jumped into a business here in, I can't remember if he's in South Report. I think he's in Southampton. Anyways, he had worked up his, gained enough hours and finished his apprenticeship that he could write for his ticket. So he is a Red Seal journeyman for electrical. Um, and then he was working with another gentleman up in Lion's Head. Oh, yes, we talked about that. Yeah, but we were getting to the point where, like, I was busy, but I'm working full-time at the house, but I also have the kids at home with me full-time. So basically, I'm working two full-time jobs right. because we all know that being a mother is more than a full-time job. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I needed help. Like I, we have a delivery system for our bread. I, we don't just have people coming to the house. Mm -hmm. Um, so we deliver throughout all of Gray and Bruce. Um, so either I needed somebody to help come deliver for me. And I also needed to trust that person or yeah. I needed somebody to come in and work with me in my home kitchen at like four o'clock in the morning, which nobody wants a stranger in their house at four o'clock in the morning. Trust that person. And you also have to trust that person. So we were caught in this position where do I hire or does Matt quit his job and help me? That was a scary decision. It took us a few months to decide on that. There was probably some tears and some really stressful conversations. And lots of nights we were down at Sola's eating uh, pizza and drinking a pitcher yeah. of a pitcher yeah. beer, trying to hash it out, right? Yeah. All the what ifs, like what if this and what if that and what if it doesn't work and you know, what if we hit the wintertime? Because we all know what winter is like here in Gray and yeah. Bruce. Basically, life shuts down, income ceases, and it's quiet. So we made the agreement. We're like, okay, like, I need help. We both know that. So why don't we try it for the winter? And we'll see what happens. Like, if we are successful going through the winter, then we know it's okay. But if we're not successful, then, you know, we need to look at other options. So we made it through the first winter. We hit April and we actually came out on top. Like we were able to afford to buy a second oven, which we needed oh so badly. And we knew coming out of that, we're like, OK, you know, like this is th this this worked. Like yeah. we pushed hard enough and it's like the snowball, right? It just kept growing and growing. And now we're talking about potentially hiring somebody to come help us next summer. <laughs> so, yeah. That's very exciting. Do you like working with your husband? I do. Yeah. I told him that the other day. <laughs> I was at the beginning. It was tough because, you know, I basically ran the household while he was out working. Yeah. Um, you know, so I had my routines and the kids had their routine with me. And then all of a sudden there was this other person in the house <laughs> all day long and we were just trying to find our rhythm. So I'm going to say probably the first three or four months was up and down. Like we had our moments, that's for sure. But then we found a groove. So like Matt and I both have our distinctive roles in the business. And I think that's really important working with your partner is that you're not both doing the same thing. You have to split up and divide and conquer. So like for me, I, I, bake, I bake the bread, right? Like I weigh it, I mix it, I shape it, I bake it. So Matt comes in on the busy days and he helps me shape. 
And he helps run the oven when I'm on the other side of the kitchen and I'm still weighing and mixing and getting loaves ready for that day as well. But then he has deliveries. So he goes out and does deliveries. And then he takes care of all the invoicing and the background work for our online ordering system and whatnot. So we have overlapping roles, some, but for the most part, we're pretty separate on what we do. I couldn't necessarily jump in and do his role because there's a lot of stuff that he does that I just don't understand because I'm not a tech savvy person and vice versa. Right. right? So he's comfortable baking the bread, scoring it and loading it into the oven and unloading it. But when it comes to mixing and weighing or like mixing it all up and making sure there's good gluten structure and flavors and that kind of stuff, that's not his name. And he doesn't want to do that. He's like, if you ever died in a car crash, we'd be fucked. (laughs) That would be it. (laughs) No more. We cease to exist. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. My parents worked together too. Growing up, they're both teachers at the same school. Mm -hmm. And so I'll say to my husband. There's a lot of that around here, right? Husband and wife teachers at the same school. I've like discuss with my husband what can we do together because i think i'm not scared of that like i, I watched my parent my i watched my dad make my mom lunch every day oh to that's so sweet <laughs> tells me we could never work together i don't believe him. i think yeah. you could it's just finding that rhythm but i i do believe that there's a lot that couldn't well i was talking to so southampton olive oil company were one of our first locations um for order drop-offs okay. And anyways, I was in there, both Matt and I were in there one day talking to the owner, Dave, it's Dave and Donna. And uh, this was at the beginning when we made that first, that final decision that Matt was going to join me full time. And both, both Dave and Donna were in there. They're like, we think it's fantastic when husband and wives work together because you learn each other's quirks every day and you learn how to work around and with each other versus you work separate every day of your life and then all of a sudden you hit retirement and now you're stuck at home with your significant other and you don't really know each other that much like sure you do but you don't at the same time and you know then you're yelling at somebody about not doing the laundry properly or not doing this properly meanwhile you know you could have spent the last 30 years working with each other and yeah 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 so let's focus on crust and crackle so you said you started in October 2020. Yes. And was that how you started by posting on social media? Like, how did you find your original post? I just by posting on on social media. And yeah. Did you pay for those ads or were they mostly organic? Um, they're yes and no. Sometimes I did and sometimes I didn't. I definitely don't have to pay for advertising on social no. media anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but at the beginning, usually about once every two or three months, I would pay for an uh, ad. Um, but honestly, the paid ads on social media didn't bring in a lot of traction. Oh. Yeah. So I think it depends on the type of content that you're posting. Um, but basically I had people on our list. I just asked them to share across their social media to gain some more organic traffic that way. Because I try to think of when I would have first heard you. And I think from the, I think it was hyped up from the first moment I would have heard you. And I would have probably found you pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think so whatever, I'm asking more like strategically, like whatever you did worked. Yeah. And you're saying it was mostly just organic asking people to share. Yeah. 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 And and again, I think it comes down to the type of content that, that you're posting. posting. Yeah. Yeah. And you're selling bread. People like bread. It's comfort. Yeah. It's, it is. Comfort. It's, it's, it is. it's happiness and satisfaction in a brown paper bag. Yeah. <laughs> Feeling uncomfortable. Too. Completely. Like, I didn't start it 
because of COVID. Let's just like put okay. that in straight out there yeah. because I see all over social media. I started my sourdough microbakery because of COVID. It's yeah. like, nope, I didn't start because of COVID. It just was coincidental. Right. Um, there was many other reasons why I started it, but COVID was not one of them. But I also think that that's why it took off so well was because like we would be considered essential because it's food, right. even though we were doing it out of our home. So there was like all this gray area. <laughs> it was weird. But it gave people an excuse to leave their home, to go for a drive, yeah. right? And they weren't being cooped up all the time. And But they were going for a drive for something that's comforting. And that was going to make them happy. Like the amount of people that showed up at our doorstep and I'd hand them their, lo- their bag of bread and it's still warm and they're like... This is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. you. It's true that you said, because you mentioned that you started, when did you start your first sourdough starter? Uh, when Basil was, oh, she was like three months old. Oh, so okay. 2018, something like that. People, a lot of people I know started their sourdough starter during COVID. Oh God, yeah. Mine yes. was before that. Mine I, way before I, that. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. Yeah, I like to hear. Well, I was going to say, what makes you different? What makes you different than than other bakeries uh so what key what separates us from the others well number one we're not a brick and mortar right so we've created this really flexible system to reach as many people in this area as possible because we deliver out like granted we don't we never expected people to come to our place out in Sobel. number one it's a house Number two, we're out in Sobel. And in the wintertime in Gray and Bruce, we know that the weather sucks. Yeah. So we decided that we were going to go to our customers instead, instead of expecting them to come to us. So because we've put this delivery system in place and we can reach thousands of people within, you know, the furthest that we deliver from the house right now is about 45 minutes, give or take. Um, So then we know that if we go to a location that's 45 minutes away from us, it's going to draw in people that are probably 15, 20 minutes to a half an hour away from them. So like our reach is huge. Yeah, it's huge. So I think that's one of the biggest thing that sets us off from many of the other bakeries. The other thing too, top secret, but it's not going to be top secret anymore, is a lot of the bakeries in this area are making their own products. Okay. Like they're buying in from Flanagan's or from Cisco's or yeah. from National Grocers. And you think like all those fancy squares and stuff that you get, they're not, they didn't make those in-house. Yeah. The bread at grocery stores, they're not baked in-house. They're tanning salons, okay. let's call them that, but they're not baked in-house. Yeah. So our product is real. It's simple. We do everything in-house. We source out all of our ingredients as local as possible. So our flour, we have two different suppliers for flour. Our bulk flour is milled in Hanover at the organic P&H mill. Now, it's not our bulk flour isn't grown in Ontario. It is grown out in the prairies. But to get good, hard, organic wheat for baking bread, it has to come from the prairies because of the protein. It just doesn't grow that well here in Ontario. But then we've partnered up with another miller. Her and her husband farm, uh, so they grow their own red, soft red winter wheat. Okay. And they've partnered with another farmer that grows hard red winter wheat, and she mills it. So her name is, uh, her business name is Stonebridge Flower. Uh, So Angela and her husband Tyson are down in King Carden, and I partnered up with her, I think last winter, I reached out to her, and she started 
again, she's she's really new at this too. I think she's just coming into her first full year or just coming into her second year of milling. And she wasn't sure if she could keep up to my demand. Oh, really? But what I did was I created uh, the sesame and honey loaf yeah. is focused around her grains. Okay. So then I I tweaked my menu and my recipes so that I could accommodate as much as she could possibly mill. So we're growing together at the same time. Yeah. So yeah. So all of our flour is grown and milled in Canada. Nothing is shipped in. And then all the produce that we use in our bread and our focaccias and our weekly specials. So we live on almost an acre and three quarters of that is now food. A lot of that food, obviously for us, it gets Mm -hmm. us through the wintertime. We grow a lot of um, vegetables. Um, But then the other goal for that was to use that produce in our bread. So we grow a lot of it. um, So like potatoes and onions and garlic and herbs and tomatoes and that kind of stuff. But then whatever I fall short on, or if I don't have enough, or I'm looking for something different, then we partner up with another good friend of ours, Persephone Market Garden in Parkhead. They have um, a CSA share, so which is Community Supported Agriculture. And we purchase a lot of produce from them as well. So we've created this closed loop circle. Um, so I'm not buying from Flanagan's. I'm not buying from Cisco. I'm buying from these small suppliers that are here. I'm keeping the money here in our economy yeah yeah i love that too because i'm not like a bread person you can tell when you buy bread from um the grocery store that it's so gross it's gross gross. it's yoga mats i know (laughs) they said that if someone asks ask people this question all the time what would you get rid of first cheese meat or bread yeah and when people say bread i'm like gross bread is gross yeah i'm thinking grocery store bread yep your your bread is on a completely it's like a whole other level. level. It's a whole other level. I don't even, it's it shouldn't even be like called bread. Should be called uh, well. You must call it something different. Well, you know, no. I think the the bread in the grocery store shouldn't be called bread. bread because we we are baking bread. That is not bread. Yeah, that is over processed. It is made so fast. Like it's so when the bread is made at the grocery store. It has so many additives in it, A, to make it rise really quickly, B, for it to last really, really long on the shelf. Yeah, like your bread (laughs) should mold in like five days, at least five to six days. The stuff in the grocery store, I did a test with it, like hamburger buns, and it sat on my counter for three weeks and didn't mold. Like, okay, if that's not breaking down on my counter, then it's not breaking down in my stomach. And no wonder why people have so many digestive issues. It's the shit that you eat. It's so highly processed. It's so highly processed. Before I had kids, I never bought bread. But now I do because they like grilled cheese. Um, I was always so disgusted by how long that bread would still be okay for. When we buy your bread, I mean, it never lasts long anyways, but... Oh, God, no. It's not (laughs) not supposed to. People are like... What's the shelf life of your bread? Well, if it if you don't eat it in an, in an entire day, like I don't know, four or five days yeah. to eat it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your bread never lasts long on our counter. No, it's and it's not supposed to. No, and then no. my kids are picky eaters, but my husband and I are like, yay, more for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kids are funny. Like obviously, our kids love it. Like our but our our kids have grown up and have developed really sophisticated taste buds at such a young age because of how we eat at home and having a chef as a mom. Like it makes a huge difference, right? 
Um, so, you know, like our kids love caraway and rye, but 99% of the population, whether you're young or old, yeah. thinks that's disgusting. My kids are like, make it for me, please. Life into words. Coming this November from the Chessie Community Players, Aesop's musical foible. Get ready for a wild ride of laughter, music, and classic tales. The resentful fox, the egomaniac hare, and more come to life as hysterical characters on stage that only Aesop and the audience can see or hear. Catch the show November 17th, 18th, 24th, or 25th at 7 p.m. or November 19th or 26th at 2 p.m. Here at the Bijou Theatre in Chesley, Ontario. Tickets are $25 for adults and $15 for students. A show for all ages. Get your tickets now and join them for a night of fun, laughter, and fantastic music. You can get your tickets at the Chesley Remax, 519-363-3335, or through Eventbrite. You got a tale to tell. So you work out of your house. Tell me how that works. So our house, we moved into our house eight years ago. And uh, like I said earlier, it's been under constant renovations <laughs> a lot. So we renovated our kitchen before I started baking bread. Um, the bread business wasn't even, it, it wasn't even a seed in my imagination yet. Okay. Catering was. Right. Um, so we built it around being able to prep for caterings out of it. And then bread came in the picture. Um, now, we were fortunate enough that the house that we bought is really, really basic. Um, and it's very, like, I don't know, it's, it's square, right? Like, it's it was super easy to renovate. Um, so it was really easy to fit in all the commercial appliances into our home kitchen. So when I started... We had renovated the kitchen to have like it's a big L kitchen and then down the center is an eight by four table island okay. combo. Like we don't have a dining table. We eat at the island yeah. um, because I needed a big prep space. So at the beginning, I was baking out of a home oven. So it was like a Samsung, just something super basic, right? Like I started in Dutch ovens, two at a time, and then I realized that I could bake with four at a time. But we all know that cast iron Dutch ovens are really heavy. Yeah. And my back was really sore. Yeah. But then I read a post from another baker that you could force steam in a home oven. And I'm like, okay. okay. I was like, let's give this a go. So like I had a hotel pan, which is like a, you know, for people that don't cook, it's like a lasagna pan, right? right? So I'd put lava rocks in it. I'd get them smoking hot and then I'd pour boiling hot water into them. And then I would take a towel and I'd plug that vent in the oven. So, okay, that was fine for like the first couple months. Yeah. And then at the end of a bake session... My oven went poof, and there was black smoke that was like billowing out of the back of it. And I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, where's the breaker? Shut the breaker off with a panel. Like, I just blew my oven up. <laughs> so Matt came home, and thank God it was on a Friday because I was done baking for the week. If yeah. it was on a Wednesday and I still had loaves to bake, I would have been shit in my pants. Yeah. But, anyways, I said to Matt, I was like, I blew up the oven. I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, we need to go buy an oven like tonight, like right, right now. So we frantically called around to different appliance stores in Owen Sound, and we were lucky enough that we got a scratch and dent model from the brick, and it had a steam bake mode in it. So I was like, all right, that's fine. So we picked up this. It was just a KitchenAid oven. It's nice, but it's still a home oven. Yeah. 
Uh, so we threw that in and I baked out of that for pretty much like the first a solid year at least. Yeah. And I was doing like 60 loaves a day out of it. So I was able to go from baking four loaves in an oven to baking eight loaves in an oven. And it was convenient that it had this steam bake mode, which is just a steam tray on the bottom. That it was, yeah, it was intense. Yeah. So like I was still, most people would call it mass production. It was a lot baking it out of a home oven because, you know, I was doing, I don't know, maybe a hundred and I don't know, 120 to 150 in a week out of that home oven. This is Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. But then as I watched demand grow, I said to Matt, I was like, this this isn't this isn't cutting it. Like home appliances is not cutting it. We need something more. So then I started looking into commercial equipment. Buying commercial equipment for a home application is really challenging, um, not only because of the size, but because of the electrical um, requirements that you need for it. So a lot of the uh, commercial bakery equipment is three phase and you only have single phase coming into your home. And we were told by our insurance company that if we put three phase in and we put the converter in to change it over to single phase, basically our insurance is null and void. Really? So we're like, okay, we're not going to do that. So then I scoured for commercial equipment that would fit in the home. And it was just, I think, out of sheer luck, Somebody had sent me a link to a new company in California and they were making or they were designing um, stone hearth ovens designed to fit in your home for single phase for micro bakers, small production. Right. OK. So I was like, all right. And I showed Matt and I was like, listen, I was like, here's this company. Like the Facebook page only had 25 likes on it. So oh, it was yeah. like brand, brand new, new, like brand new. And I was following them for a little bit. And then all of a sudden, the company made a post that they were now taking deposits for their first line of production. And I'm like, OK. I was like, I can't find anything else that's comparable to this. Uh, like, there were other models that were comparable to it, but I couldn't get it in Canada. And it was also during COVID. So the shipping, everything was just a huge mess. Um, so I said to Matt, and I was like, listen, they only want $300 for a deposit. Let's do it. Again, like at that point in time, we were still living paycheck to paycheck. Like money was tight. And um, the final cost of the unit was three grand American. So it was about five grand Canadian when it was all said and done. And I was like, if we want to continue growing, then this is something that we need to do. I was like, I know it's really expensive. I was like, but this is something that we need to do. So then we ended up getting the first unit uh, we're in 2023. So yeah. in 2022, April Easter of 2022, we went down to New York. We had it shipped to New York because we could not, again, get it shipped to Canada. It was too yeah. expensive. So we went down to New York and picked it up and brought it home. And then as as business grew, like we had many conversations about going into a brick and mortar, okay. leasing a shop, buying a shop, you know, all that kind of stuff. But the logistics of running a running a brick and it's running a brick and mortar is so expensive any brick and mortar business owner knows that yeah like it's you're counting nickels and dimes and pennies like every single day to make sure that you make ends meet and we basically didn't want two mortgage payments plus our kids are little like our kids are six and eight so you know for me to have to leave the house and start baking at three o'clock in the morning i'm leaving at two right to get anywhere to get the place warmed up to get lights on to get equipment running all that kind of stuff I don't want to be driving in the middle of the night. I like sleeping and going to bed at nine o'clock at night and waking up at five o'clock in the morning. 
I don't want to have to go drive in the middle of the night, especially here in the wintertime. You know, what if I can't make it there? And then who's going to watch the kids, right? Who's going to get the kids on the bus in the morning? Who's going to get them home? Who's going to make dinner? Like all this kind of stuff, because I also need Matt with me. So like, do we hire a nanny? Like none of this makes any sense. So logistically and financially, there was no sense in putting any time and effort into going into a brick and mortar. So we're like, no, like we're going to do this out of the house. So we had our home and we do regularly have our home inspected by the health inspector because we are a low risk product, meaning that we don't use any eggs or meat or um, anything where we have to hold a specific temperature. Right. So because we are a low risk product, um, we're allowed to do it out of our home. Now, the only stipulation was we had to have separate appliances and we had to keep all of our tools and equipment and baking ingredients separate from the home ingredients. So if you ever walk into our kitchen, like we've showed our kitchen off to many of our customers Mm -hmm. and you can see there's a very distinct line from home use and business use. So we have three refrigerators in our kitchen. Our kitchen is 12 by 18. Like it's tiny. (laughs) It's tiny. We have three three um, refrigerators, like full giant refrigerators. And then we have two commercial ovens and I have a giant 50 quart spiral mixer. And then I have another like 10 quart one that sits on my counter. Yeah. Like our kitchen is maxed right out. And then we have racking, like we have multiple racking for our mixing bowls and bus bins and flour and all that kind of stuff. You know, we go through during the summertime about 2000 pounds of flour in a month, in one month. We cannot get a delivery truck to the house because delivery companies do not deliver out to Sobel all year long. They only do it the summertime. So that forces us to have to drive down to Hanover every other week to pick up our supplies and bring it home. But we also don't have the room to store a skid of flour. Like a skid of flour is 50 bags. It's, you know, 1,500 pounds of flour. It's a lot. Um, So running our business out of the house, it makes sense financially. Yeah. It does not make sense in the fact that now my half of my house, which is only it's not even a thousand square feet, half of it is business. Right. right? Like I can't close the door at the end of the night and say goodbye. Like I get up in the morning and I'm sitting in a commercial bakery in my house. Yeah. The kids love it. Like it's like a sauna in my home when I bake it. It It is so warm. It's so warm. In the summertime, it's intense. Like when it was 35 degrees, 40 degrees outside, it's 40 degrees in my house without any airflow. It's very intense. But, you know, that being said, we know that there's challenges, but but money talks. And I don't want to pay a lease, like a $2,000 lease, $3,000 lease, and then have utilities and then have insurance and then have employees and then and then and then when I can just tough it out at home. And I know that it's legal for me to do it at home, right? You have to increase the price of your bread too. Like completely. Or I would have to really, really, really mass produce. And in order to really mass produce, then I have to hire staff. So does it make any sense? Like it doesn't really. Part of Crest and Crackle is that we know you support your small family and in your small town, in your home. That's part of your brand. Yeah. 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 So we do have plans. We are building an attached garage to the house. We're just finalizing details about how big it really needs to be. Because every time we go out and we look at the floor print of it, it's like, mm, we're missing something. Like, I need to add another 10 square feet here and another 20 here. Oh. And what about this? And what about that? So you know, like we do have plans of building a big shop. Um, it's, it's it's money, 
right? It just, it, it's, it comes down to money. And we know that the business needs to be moved out of the house. We don't want to take it off, to, off the property for logistical reasons. So it's just a matter of time and finances for when we can actually start that. I have a question specifically about the whole, the, sorry, the health inspector. Mm-hmm. How many, uh, so did you have to reach out to them immediately when you started selling your bread out of your home or was there like a number of loaves and then all of a sudden you had to start? Um, I wanted to make sure that I was like, it was actually a thing. Like this was really going to turn into a business. It wasn't just this Susie homemaker slinging a few loaves out the door here and there. I wanted to make sure that it was legit and I was, I was going to use it as a source of income before I reached out. So then because I've been in hospitality forever, I knew what was required um, as far as like sanitation and racking and how far it needs to be off the wall and up off the floor and storage and cleaning and all that kind of stuff. It's not like I came from, you know, working, I don't know, at a clothing store and was like, oh, I'm going to run a bakery out of my house and I have no idea what I'm doing. Like I have that all that knowledge in my back pocket. So I was prepared for it. So when the health inspector, um, when I got a hold of the health inspector, I said, listen, this is what I want to do. Just tell me what I need in place and I want to schedule in an, in an appointment for you to come out. So, you know, they go over their whole list to make sure that we're not missing anything. So I made sure that everything was in place. Um, you know, like floors are sealed. I have bowls or like every, everything is separate. Business okay. and home is separate. Yeah. Um, so when they came out, it was easy peasy for them just to walk through. Like my kitchen is it's it's clean. We don't have any pets in the house, anything like that. So it was an easy instant yes for them. Now, like if I was slinging hamburgers out my kitchen window, it'd be a different story, right? right? You did mention you were a low risk. Very low risk. Yeah. yeah, very low risk. It's not like I'm selling cream pies or, you know, anything where something has to be refrigerated at a certain temperature or has to be hot at a certain temperature. I don't need to worry about any of that stuff. That's why the idea about my podcast is to inspire people to start their own thing. Yep. So that's why, I, like, your story is great for a working mom. Yeah. When you say, I don't want a brick and mortar, and you're so successful. I just said it, but you're like a success story. And I think that will inspire my list. Like, I hope so. So I was asked a couple of weeks ago at our Thanksgiving family dinner from my sister-in-law. She is, um, so they homeschooled their kids for quite a while. Now that they're living in Owen Sound, their older kids are in school. But while she was homeschooling them, she was creating this educational program for homes that she could sell okay to other parents mm-hmm. right but she has hit this brick wall i call it the imposter syndrome right where you know that your product works but you are terrified to put it out there in the world because sure there's other products that are better than yours of course there always will be there are also products out there that are worse than yours so it's putting your name out there and feeling like like you own what you do, right? Like you have to believe in yourself. But a lot of people have this imposter syndrome feeling where it's like, am I good enough? Is what I do good enough? Is what I do meeting up to the standards of the others? You don't necessarily have to meet up to the standards of the others because you are your own standard, right? So I remember working in retail there's good, better, and best, right? When you're going in, let's say you're buying a toilet, there's a good, better, oh, yeah. and best decision, right? You know, it could be anything. So, you know, you just need to believe in yourself and put yourself out there. And you don't need, you, you also have to be able to walk the walk and talk the talk, not for somebody else's shit, but for your own shit, oh, right? Yeah. Like, 
I know what I'm capable of. I know what I'm comfortable doing. I know what I'm not comfortable doing. Maybe one day I'll push myself towards that. I don't necessarily need to right now, but it's just, it's you got, you have to put yourself out there. If you don't put yourself out there, you don't know what kind of attraction you're going to gain, right? I say, like, if you don't try, you're the one who's telling you, or you're the one who's failing you right away. Completely. Yeah, yeah completely. And don't you know let- what? If you put it out there and it doesn't work, whoopee-doo. At right. least, at least you made the effort, yeah. right? And there's so many things where, you know, it may not work out and that's okay. It's no, there's no point in beating yourself up over it. There's, there's always something else. Yeah. There's always something else. I, I really like the podcast because every time I think, oh, no one's listening to it. I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. I've done. Then I'm like, oh, but I do have an interview with Crescent Crackle. So I'll do that one first and then that'll be my last one. And then you inspire. Just keep, keep going. going. Just keep going. And, yes. Interview. I'm more inspired to keep going. So I'm like, I can't stop. No, you can't. It's addicting. It's addicting. <laughs> we can get back. But I was going to ask you earlier, what is the future of your company? Where do you see Crescent Crackle in five years? Um, in, well, ten, I don't know. I don't know what tomorrow's going to be like. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Okay. So we know that, um, we don't want to be that business where we have 10 employees working underneath us. I don't want people working their ass off to make us a living. We are going to work our ass off and make our own living, right? It's not easy being a baker. It's not easy getting up at three o'clock in the morning every day. It's, you know, it's it's also being a mom on top of it is exhausting. Sure, I would love to be able to step back and have my hands free for a few things. So, you know, maybe we hire one employee that could come in and work with us part time. Um, you know, maybe that gives me a couple hours in a day that I can work on accounting or work on our website or, you know, stuff like that. But in five to 10 years, um, for sure, we will have our shop built and the bakery will be out of the house. That is a guarantee. (laughs) Not only for my sanity, but for the health of our family. Like we have asthma in the house and allergies and all sorts of stuff. So yes, that is a huge goal. Do I want to say that we want to take over Gray and Bruce County with bread? Absolutely, we do. (laughs) Um, we would love to, I think, how many businesses do we have our product in so far? So order pickup locations we have. Southampton, Port Allegan, Desboro, Owen Sound, Wyerton, Shallow Lake, Lion's Head, and yeah. our place in Sobble. So we have eight order pickup locations and we have nine, I think nine retail locations, something around there. Because okay. we have an extra one in Sobble during the summertime. We would love to be in more shops further through Gray and Bruce. I think having one location in each town is ideal because then there's exclusivity, right? And we are also helping pull in business to these other businesses because they're complementary products. But ideally, you know, for each location that we deliver to, we would love to deliver a hundred loaves to Amici's and Shallow Lake. We would love to deliver a hundred loaves to the Milkmaid. We would love mm-hmm. to deliver a hundred loaves to Southampton, right? It's just, it's time. It's getting there. Yeah. So we know that our cap is baking 600 loaves in a week. Okay. I know that sounds insane. It sounds it insane. totally insane. Yeah. So we had the owner of the company that built our bread ovens. It's called Simply Bread Oven. So they're out of California. Yeah. And I feel like we have all of a sudden turned into their poster child for (laughs) their company because we are 
uh, a husband and wife team. We're doing it out of our home. Yeah. We have two of their ovens and we're pushing really hard, right? Okay. So we had an interview with them in mid-June. He flew up with his videographer and they filmed us for the entire day and then right. interviewed cool. us. And he had asked what our goal is to with our bakery. Yeah. And I was like, okay, if you're talking about number of loaves, I was like, we would love to bake 600 loaves every single week throughout the entire year. So from May long weekend until Thanksgiving, we did that. We hit our numbers like basically instantly. It was so incredible to see. But 600 loaves every week for the entire year is too much for two people. Well, you you could probably use a vacation. Oh, my God. (laughs) Like I would take a vacation every month. Yeah. There was so much, so much work. Like basically I would get up at three in the morning to turn my ovens on. I would go back to bed for two hours, try to fall asleep. And then I'd get up at five and start baking and I'm finished baking. Matt's out for deliveries when he's delivering that I'm mixing for the next day's bake. When he gets back, we're weighing and shaping and getting all of our loaves in the refrigerators to proof overnight. But then basically as soon as we're done, then the kids are home and I got to make dinner. Yeah. And then I got to make dinner. Then it's time for bed. Then it's time for bed. Then it's time for us to go to bed. And it's like, oh, my God, I didn't have time to do anything Anything. today. Yeah. So, you know, in five to 10 years, I would like to say that we maintain a 400 to 500 loaf average during the entire year and that we've really capitalized in the areas that we're already delivering to. We would love to reach out further, you know, maybe to... Markdale to Thornbury mm-hmm. to um, Meaford, um, you know, areas that are a little bit further from the house. But I think in order for us to do that, we need to have two delivery routes going okay. at the same time. Plus, I would probably need to purchase two or three more refrigerators and a third oven. Yeah. So I don't I don't know. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> that That is ambitious, though. I, I love it. Super ambitious. I love it. Yes. Uh, I can picture it. I can see it right now. Yeah. It's pretty exciting. It's, you know, I think the most exciting thing is... A, we are making a product that is using such basic ingredients like flour, water, and salt. That's it. And flour, water, and salt is sustaining Matt and I on a solid income. One income for two people. We can actually afford to renovate our house. Two kids. And we're doing it at home. So it's, it's, yeah, it's pretty phenomenal. I am so jealous of your kids. Your kids get to tell their friends that their parents are... Taking over the bread world. Your kids must be living a great childhood. I th- I, th- I think so. I yeah. think so. I know for us, not not so much for Matt, for, for me growing up, like both of his parents worked Monday to Friday day jobs. He had a different childhood than I did, like 100%. So like, you know, both his parents worked Monday to Friday. They all played hockey. They played right. lacrosse. You know, they did all the extracurriculars, that kind of stuff. For me growing up, you know, like we lived on welfare for a few years, like when I was younger, like money was tight. We lived off one income. Um, you know, we homesteaded a big family, but we didn't do the extracurriculars. We didn't do all that kind of stuff. You know, my dad worked as much as he could. He was a contractor. He built custom homes and cottages. Yeah. Um, but my mom was a stay at home mom. And I said to Matt, when we got married, I was like, it's really important to me that our kids aren't latchkey kids. I don't want our kids going to daycare um, after school and before school. I don't want them to have babysitters all the time. We are raising our children, not somebody else. So I was like, when we have our children, I want us to be in the position where one of us is home to get them on the bus and one of us is home to get them off the bus. And we have home cooked meals at five o'clock at night, not at seven o'clock at night. And I don't want to do all those extracurricular activities 
driving around God knows where at what time at night. Yeah. So having the business that we have, our, it, everything fits, right? It's like all these puzzle pieces that just molded together. Don't get me wrong. It's really stressful when Matt and I are hauling ass and the kids are right underneath our feet and they want our attention. But I think it would just be just as stressful if I was picking them up at 530 at night and dinner's not prepped and kids yeah. are cranky and tired. And it's just it's different. Yeah, it's different. I like that you said that because, yeah, you your priority was to raise your family that way. So then you found a way to work. Yeah. And make it to make that success. Yeah. And, and you have to. And you have and you have to make it work like a lot of people, especially today because of social media and just just how life is going. It's everybody wants instant gratification. Don't get me wrong. Instant gratification is wonderful. Everybody loves it. But you actually do need to work and put effort in to get something in life like you can't make a million dollars overnight. You know, you have to work if you want to start a business you have you have to work at it. And if there's failures along the way, that's okay. It's just an opportunity to learn. So take that opportunity and grow. Don't just throw it out the window. You know, I look at our son who's eight and he gets frustrated quite often and he's like, oh, I'm done. And it's like, okay, well, that's fine. You can be done this minute, but, you know, let's try again later when you're calm and collective and we can continue working through it. So just because life is hard, doesn't mean you need to give up. Like, just just keep pushing. You just got to push. Yeah. yeah. If you want something, you got to go for it. <laughs> um, back to uh, raising your family, because when I worked, my kids were the first ones dropped off at daycare. And one of the last ones. Working on my career has always been a goal. Like, I want to be a career businesswoman. So I thought that's what I had to do. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at my children's lives. Yeah. We're just saying, Cole, uh, Carter's miserable. That's just, that's a weightless thing. Yeah. And then I switched my life up basically i just said no i'm not doing that anymore i need to spend more time with my kids yeah and i would say it was mid-september i said carter's a beautiful child and my husband's like i was just thinking that and we were like he's smiling constantly yeah he's got his mom so when people say shit are you like a little regret that you don't have a steady income coming in now no no because i would have that miserable child back yeah and there's a lot of obviously other changes, but that I think that's a huge. Well, problem. when you have your kids, it's not you, right? Like we have these dreams before we have kids about what we want life to look like. Mm-hmm. And then we have our children, you know, maybe you only have one, maybe you have 10, who knows? Yeah. But everything changes and it's not about us anymore. No. It's about them. And I don't want our kids to be those you know, my parents aren't home, so I'm going to go in and I'm going to make Pop-Tarts for dinner. And, you know, now you're 30 years old and you don't know how to cook. You don't know how to do the simple tasks at home. Like, so Oliver can, he knows how to sew by hand. Like he can hand stitch up like a stuffy, right? Um, They help wash the dishes. They help clean the house. They help work on the vehicles. They help, they, they help do everything that we do because we're home with them, but we also are not exhausted and stressed out and don't want to put any time into their lives because our days are so strapped being away from the house. So, you know, we've created this opportunity for them to be involved with us in everything. And that's huge because now they'll be self-sufficient when they're older. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like parents that, and, 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 and I, and I get it. Like some people want to work out of the house. I understand not everybody 
it I think it takes a special kind of person to be able to work from home day in and day out. It is there are times where it's like I gotta go into my kitchen again. Like I may as well put a bed in my kitchen because I'm there for 20 yeah, hours in a day, pretty much. Yeah. So I I understand that when people are like, yeah, like I enjoy leaving the house for work. You know, I I I couldn't imagine being at home yeah. all the time. But when you have kids, it's okay. Well, what's more important to you is your day job and income more important, or you know, can you back off and work part time? I'm not saying both parents, but maybe one parent. And mm-hmm. can you put more time into your kids? Because you want your kids to be honest, respectable, self-sufficient, not relying on the system, yeah. right? You want them to be strong individuals with a backbone. Okay, so we have been talking for a long time. So living in a small town, mm-hmm. you grew up, you said you grew up 45 minutes away from, uh, I think it was St. Thomas. Uh, well, I lived in St. Thomas for a couple of years, but I actually grew up just outside of Bancroft. Like, oh, I lived yes. in the country. So, in the country. Okay, so say, I'm a okay. different kind of redneck on the rednecks here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we lived on a lake. The lake had, I don't know, four or 500 cottages in the summertime from May long weekend until Thanksgiving. Yeah. When Thanksgiving ended and the cottages closed up, there was like five full-time homes yeah, on this giant lake. Bed, but yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, like, I lived in the middle of the bush on a lake. I didn't live in a farm country. Yeah. I lived in the middle of the bush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Where I grew up in Lion's Head was, we didn't live, grow up on the water, but we were surrounded by cottages. Yeah. Right. In the summer, it was It's busy. It was but then as soon as Thanksgiving hits, it's done. Okay, so I moved out. I left home when I was 16, somewhere around there. Um, but I think I was maybe 13, 14-ish, something like that. And one of my best friends, her parents own an island in the middle of the lake that we lived on. They've got like a family of cottages on it. And when she came up, I would get in our aluminum boat and I would I would basically move into her cottage for the summertime, more or less. And I remember the one Thanksgiving, they had closed up their cottage and I just watched the whole lake shut down pretty much. Like, all there was no traffic on the road. There was no boats on the lake. Like, it was quiet. And I sat out on the dock and I ball- like, I bawled my eyes out. And I'm like, oh, my God, everybody's gone. <laughs> like, winter's coming. <laughs> yeah. But how do you find that living in a small town contributes? Well, everybody knows who we are now. Yeah. So it's really funny. We go into the grocery store or we're out in public and people know who we are by our faces on social media. There's a lot of people like Matt grew up here, so he knows a lot of people. Um, But then again, because I'm so personable, I can talk to anybody out on the street. So we already knew a half decent amount of people face to face. But having our business and it having such a huge social media online presence People know our faces and they kind of know our story. So when we go out, they're like, hey, how's it going? I'm like, hi. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know me. I don't know you. Uh, I love your friend. And I'm yeah. like, okay. All the time. If we were living in the city. So I have a girlfriend that's in Etobicoke and she offers the same sort of business. Now she does croissants, mainly okay. croissants, finer pastries, a little bit of bread. Um, but our customer relationship is totally different. Country people versus city people. Completely different breed of individuals. Yes. So living in a small town, I love being able to go into the grocery store and being able to shoot the shit with any person that walks by because we all know who each other is. Now, I don't share all the details of our life, that is for sure, but people get the gist of it. And it's nice to be able to have your face recognized and kind of feel like a celebrity out and about. Yeah, it feels good. Have you faced any challenges by being in a small town? 
I don't know. Yes and no. I don't. We have we like there's challenges with everything. I to say that we've faced serious challenges. No, I'm I'm not going to say that. Um, there's always bumps in the road, right? But ma- major issues, no, no. Yeah. I think people here and probably in most small towns, everybody's like family, right? So you know, it, it all works pretty seamlessly together. And unless you really shit the bed and do something bad, <laughs> then you're like shunned. Yeah. May as well move. <laughs> See, I, uh, the other people I've interviewed say uh, trying to find supplies, but you have. This. You you make it work. Like you make it work. When you're saying uh, like you're that Stonebridge power and convertible, like, yeah, you made it work. Yeah, I made it like yes, yeah. like I wanted that product. Yeah. So if you want something, they're not going to come to you. You have to go to them. Sure. Like there are challenges living in a small town. Uh, I.e., I can't get a delivery truck to my house in Sobel, even though we have a giant roundabout driveway. It's really easy to get into our yeah. place, but just companies don't deliver there in the wintertime because it's not worth their time because there's nothing else open. I'm sure if I lived in Port Elgin or Wyerton or Owen Sound or whatever, I could get a delivery company to the house, but I can't. So that's fine. You know, there's little things like that. You know, we would love to have a postal delivery service for our bread, but it costs too much damn money to ship our product overnight. We've had a handful of customers asking whether they're living up in the Muskokas or they're over in Ottawa or... You know, there's some London, St. Thomas area, wherever it may be, for us to um, freight our bread overnight costs 150 to 200 dollars. One loaf of bread. So there's hiccups like that, right? So we know that we have our restrictions and we have to fit within those restrictions. But if there's anything that we want, sure as hell, we find out a way to get it. Okay, so we've kind of discussed it uh, when we were talking about don't give up or just try it on. But I like to ask if people have like a small business hack. I am persistent and consistent. I am consistently persistent. (laughs) If you're not consistent, people don't know what to expect from you, right? So I've used that motto forever, working in the kitchens, running a business, raising my children, whatever it is. I am consistent. Not much changes unless, um, you know, I have a volcanic eruption, my mom used to call it, and shit hits the fan and that's (laughs) the end of the world. But if you are consistent and you are delivering the same, if not better, then people know what to expect from you, right? If you're up and down like a yo-yo, then you're going to lose trust in your customers or your audience or whoever it is really, really quickly. So keep an even keel, stay consistent. The other thing too is I found this with social media is when you are posting, like be real. Don't sugarcoat, don't sugarcoat anything. Um, People want authenticity. They want originality, right? And don't post the same thing over and over again and expect good and better results because if anything, you're going to get worse results. Mm -hmm. So be authentic with your audience. Don't tell lies, right? Like be honest with them and and get creative. Um, So, you know, the other day, uh, Matt came home from deliveries and we had a hiccup with orders, so I ended up having to go out and do an emergency delivery because we forgot something at the house. Mm-hmm. So anyways, we both got home at the same time. It was around lunch. And Matt's like, well, what, do you, what are we having for lunch today? And uh, I said, we're going to have a grilled cheese sandwich with bocatini, celery leaf, pasto, and roast chow. Oh, my gosh. They were just leftovers that were in our fridge. Uh, That's what we eat. So anyway, so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to do a post on social media about this. And I could have went on and just put a post of our picture and said, 
this is what we had for lunch. But instead, I played it out like a script, right? And, you know, Matt came home, I came home, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And it gained huge traction. Like, I think it re- I think it reached like 1,200 people already yeah. and there's like 120 likes on it. It's it's keeping it real. I need to know, I need to know this. I'm struggling with my social media. It took me it took me quite a while to figure it out. Um, but then I started reading about like how the algorithm works and like I'm not tech savvy at all. I, I am not. But I I can I can I can mark it. Even though I didn't go to school for any of it, mm-hmm. I just talk real talk. Yeah. Right? And it, and it's it's true. It's just it's keeping it original and keeping it authentic and true to yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. So you know, people can judge who we are based on what our social media likes yeah. or what it looks like. Yeah. Yeah. No, I saw that. It was, it, it was funny. Delicious. Yeah. Oh, no. It was really good. And then I put pickled jalapenos in it. Oh God, it was so good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I think we should start wrapping up. Yeah. It's almost noon. Oh my God. I know. It's fire rounds or something fun at the end. And because we do bread, I thought I'd ask you some of your like favorite bread questions. So what's the favorite bread that you make? Uh, our favorite bread that we make is the toasted CD sourdough. It is okay. hands down our okay. favorite. We get asked this question all the time. What is your most popular loaf? And we always joke that it depends on what area it's being delivered to and what day of the week. So it seems to be that Wednesday because we delivered a soggy in shore, Southampton and Port Elgin. Yeah. They also share our immense love for the toasted CD sourdough. Yeah. <laughs> yes. What is your favorite sandwich? Uh, I don't have a favorite sandwich. No, I honestly, I don't. So my favorite way to make a sandwich is usually with like a roasted meat and some kind of pesto and then having pickled beets or pickled jalapenos or whatever. I make pestos out of any leafy green, arugula, celery, parsley, whatever. So, so long as I have those three components, I'm good. Uh, what is your favorite soup? I don't, I don't have, I don't have favorites though. That's, I just, I don't, you know, like the toasted CD sourdough is our favorite bread, but I don't know. I just, I like food. I like food. I like food made with real ingredients. I like food yes. too. Yeah. 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 My dad is a big soup guy. Oh, if there's one soup I don't like, it's minestrone. I hate minestrone soup and cream of cauliflower. I, oh, oh, cream of broccoli. Sorry. Oh, cream of broccoli. I had a bowl of it and I think this stemmed from it. It was like a canned Campbell's cream of broccoli right. soup and I ate it and then I threw up and I'm like, nope, that's it. I love a solid mushroom soup. Actually, one of my favorite things to make in the wintertime is braised oxtail. Oh. So oxtail is cow's tail. So you braise it down. It's got lots of collagen in it. So it gets really thick and gelatinous. Um, but it's braised down with like tomato paste and red wine and garlic and onions and lots of pepper. And you cook it down thick enough so that you can basically take that and paste it onto a baguette. Yum. I was going to ask actually next, what's your favorite spread? Yep. There you yep. Go. Uh, yes, that uh, pork riettes. Oh. So you take um, like a tough cut of pork, you braise it down in its own lard, yeah. um, thyme, onions, garlic, that kind of stuff. And you let it chill. You pull it apart like you would with pulled pork, but it's got all that fat in it. And yeah. you spread it like butter on bread. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> I put favorite cheese, but you said that one too already. Yeah, the Red Storm. I, I've got a few, but the Red Storm is, it's up there. Okay. It's up there. Yeah, we've actually got a little friendship deal with the Milk Maid. Nice. Um, so we take them in a loaf of bread and they give us a little bit of cheese that we can have for that. And we've tried deal. so many different things. Well, that's the other thing too. So, so we actually live on a bartering system. 
everybody has something something that they can barter. So our friends over at Persephone Market Garden, um, they have their CSA share that runs for 20 weeks of the season. Um, and I think this is our seventh or eighth year that we've signed up for it. But now we barter our bread because they want fresh bread every of week. Course. We want fresh produce, but we do it all year. Yeah. You know, and we've worked out a bartering system with many other like businesses and friends and whatnot. Mm-hmm. You want our product. We want your product. Let's make it work. So because of this bartering system, like our grocery bill is like so minimal. What as soon as you said, I was like, I need to make something that I can barter with people. Yep. All right, that's my next. Uh, yes, that's a goal. Everybody, everybody should be able to barter. All I was going, I didn't have any more, but you mentioned that all of the sorry, Southampton olive oil was your first. Yeah, I think they were one of our first. So what should I be dipping my bread in? Um, I am not a huge fan of all the flavored oils. Not so much. Now they're like balsamic vinegars, like all the flavored ones are to die for. Yeah. But when it comes to an olive oil, I like a nice, grassy, heavier set olive oil. Um, I don't know. I've been through quite a few different flavors. Uh, so I buy a cube of olive oil from Dave and Donna, which I think it's like 13 liters, 12 or 13 liters, something like that. So I've tried five or six different right strains of olive oils. Um for dipping, I tend to the grassier notes. If you're not into those harder, heavier, like big oleic acid punch in the back of your throat, you know, maybe you want something more mild. But our favorite balsamic vinegar to dip is the Black Mission fig one or the chocolate one. So good. Okay, well, that's basically all I have. Did I, did you want to talk about something that I missed? I think we covered it all. I, I think so. All. That was fun. So I want to thank you for coming. And then uh, where can we find you? Ah, so we bake every Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday all year. We don't really skip a beat other than in January. Um, Customers can find us online on our website, so crustandcrackle.ca. They can follow us on Facebook and social media, just at Crust and Crackle. Um, If you want bread on the regular, jump on our email list. We send out emails on Thursday with the order link. And then again on Mondays as a reminder, because we all know everybody's busy over the weekend and sometimes we forget. Um, Yeah, you're going to find us online at this time of year. In the summertime, you'll see us kicking around. We're at farmer's markets and out and about. I meant to ask you this earlier, so we'll get this in the end. Do most of your customers order from you? or How how many loaves does Desborough's store get that's not... Like that we sell retail? Um, so Desbro, well, each location is, each location is different, right? It depends on the clientele. Um, so Desbro, we send, I don't know, eight ish, eight to 10 loaves down on a Wednesday. And then again on a Friday, um, people we find down in Desbro are maybe a little more hesitant to do online shopping. Maybe it's because of their age or their demographics or whatever it is. My dad's Yep. Um, so they do have the option of ordering, but most of them purchase from the store directly. We've got a handful that order. Uh, in Port Elgin, it's a 50-50 mix. We stock the Cheese House on Wednesday and Friday with a dozen or more loaves each. And then we get a solid amount of customers that order for the Wednesday delivery. Um, and yeah, each location floats. It's, it's, each location is so different. We can't, we can't even compare one to the other. I just don't want somebody listening to this and then being like, 
or I want somebody listening to this. I mean, like, I need some of that bread right away. Yeah. So okay. on on Wednesdays and Fridays, we stop all of our retail cabinets throughout um, Port Elgin, Desboro, Owen Sound, and Shallow Lake. On Thursday, we are stocking cabinets in Shallow Lake, Owen Sound, Wyerton, and Lion's Head. Okay. Customer orders are only for Wednesdays and Thursdays because Fridays are allocated for stocking cabinets and then baking for markets. Um, But yeah, at this time of year, you know, in the summertime, customers can just come to our house on a Friday because we're baking for market and we always have loaves available. But during the off season, we don't run that way. And we 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 encourage everybody to order. Um, it creates a zero waste product system for us. We don't want product going into the compost bin or garbage or anything like that. So when you order, you are getting exactly what you want and we know exactly what we need to bake. Yeah. And then last question, are you in any markets this winter? Yes. Yep. So we just finished our first market. So we were at Cobble Beach last weekend um, which went over really well. Mm-hmm. And the end of November, so November 4th, West Links in Port Elgin has a two-day event, yeah. the 3rd and 4th. We are only there on the Saturday. We cannot accommodate the Friday. So you will find us at uh, West Links in Port Elgin on Saturday, November 4th. November 25th and 26th, you will find Matt at um, Summerhouse Park in Miller Lake for the Lion's Head Christmas okay. Market. I am in Hanover at a catering. And decided to double dip that weekend, (laughs) which is never a good idea. Uh, And then what do we have after that? December 1st, 2nd, 3rd, we are at the Bayshore for three days for the Artisan Holiday Show and Sale. Mm -hmm. Uh, The weekend after that, which is December 9th, we are at Sauble Beach Community Center for their Christmas Lakeview Vendor Market. And we are also collaborating with the Milkmaid. Okay. For an event, uh, it'll be November 18th Yeah. for a Meet Your Baker. So customers can come in. Matt and I will have like 60 to 80 loaves. Customers can come in, buy what we have until quantities last. So the idea behind this event is it's, yes, we have bread for sale, but because we're not in a brick and mortar and not everybody knows who we are, we want people to meet us and and so that we can share what we do. <laughs> So thanks for coming. Thank you. It was so much fun.